well, you are not mistaken, I am on the other side. <laughs> and, and we're not sure if it was perhaps the, an effect of the tornado that touched down not far from here last night, but when our AV team powered everything on this morning, the light that alights, or that lights up the pulpit was out. And as you can imagine, it's quite a process to get up there and change one of those bulbs. Uh, and so, not because you couldn't see me, but rather because our folks at home wouldn't be able to see very well. We have about 130 or so people that join us online each week, and that lighting is really critical to making sure that that, um, that, that looks right. So, I'll be over here. Are we good with that? Yeah. Um, I also want to just take that opportunity to thank our AV team and the work that they do on a week-to-week basis uh, behind the scenes. It's, uh, yeah, they... We often only know when something goes wrong, right? Um, rather, when that things are going smoothly so much of the time. And so thank you for the work that, that you all do back there. And if you are looking for a new way to serve in the coming year, the AV team is a great way to do it. And there is no experience required. If that has ever been something that you've been interested in, they'd love to get you trained up and they would love for you to serve. Well, this morning we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Mark, and so I invite you to to take out your pew Bibles or the Bibles you've brought with you from home or in your mobile device, and and go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 1. And Mark's Gospel is... Mark's Gospel is, is the shortest of the four Gospels. It is only 16 chapters. If you've never had the opportunity to sit down and read one of the Gospels from start to finish, I'd encourage you to start with the Gospel of Mark. It is, it is a, a fast, action-packed Gospel. You know, whereas Luke and Matthew will take a couple of years, or excuse me, a couple of chapters to get into the years. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. Uh, well, they'll take a couple of chapters to get into Jesus' ministry years. Um, Mark gets to the baptism in, verse, in the first 10 verses. And so that's where we're going to find ourselves today. And so I invite you to, to open up, and I'll begin reading at verse 4. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and, and he ate locusts and wild honey. You can put your finger there, and we're going to come back in, in just a second and continue. But, but right here in the, in the first chapter of Mark, we find John the Baptist, as, as Isaiah puts it, right? A voice crying out in the wilderness. And we read that, that all the Judean countryside, that all of Jerusalem goes out to meet him. Now, it may not have been that the whole countryside, and it may not have been all of Jerusalem, but certainly what Mark wants us to understand is that a lot of people went out to see John the Baptist. Now, what was so significant about what John was saying? Because certainly there were a lot of preachers. There were a lot of people that were willing to to say things. What was it about John that made him so significant that so many people would go out to hear what he had to say? I want you to to consider for a moment 
what the Jewish people were in the midst of enduring. At this time, they were a conquered people. They were under the rule of the Roman Empire there in that part of the world. And as a conquered people, they were an oppressed people. Now, as a part of their worship, each week they would read a selection from the Torah. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. They'd read a selection from, from Genesis or from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. And through the year, they would work their way through basically the entirety of the Torah, the entirety of those first five books. And it was a yearly cycle, similar to our revised common lectionary that works, we work ourselves through the entirety of Scripture in a three-year sequence. They would do this every year. And in the first weeks, they would open with passages from Genesis, reading about this God that created everything good, and reading about this covenant that God had made with Abraham, with their people, that they would be prosperous, that they would have a land to call their own. And they'd come to the end of the year, and, and they would read from Deuteronomy. I want to read you this passage from, from Deuteronomy chapter 30. And this is, the, um, this is the final day of their calendar year. They would read these words. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and and gather you again from all the nations where he has scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. And so every year they would read these texts about the creator God and about a God that would keep God's promises to make them a prosperous people. And every year they continued to be under the rule of the Roman Empire, and then they would read those passages again about the God that created them and the God that was going to restore them, and then they would remain conquered again and again and again. Have you ever waited for something that you had no control over? Last week we talked about waiting like that, this open-ended kind of hope that we're called to as, as Christians, that kind of waiting, that kind of hope, it takes a certain amount of fortitude, doesn't it? it takes a, it's a certain spiritual discipline. That's the kind of waiting that, that these Jewish people were in the midst of. I'll put it another way. December 17th, 2017, There was a fire underground in Atlanta. You may remember reading this on the news that that caused a power outage at Hartfield-Jackson International Airport in Atlanta, one of the largest airports in our country. And and maybe you had a flight that was affected by it. I have a cousin, and she and her husband are involved in mission work in Kenya, and they make several trips 
every year over and back. And, and on that day, on December 17th, my cousin Julie, her husband Charlie, was flying back from Kenya. And she was there at the airport to pick him up, and she was tracking the progress of the flight on her phone. And as the flight landed, that's when the power went out. The flight landed safely. But if you've been on an airplane before, do you know that feeling when you land, how ready you are to disembark? It doesn't seem to matter whether or not it was a 30-minute flight or a 16-hour flight. People are ready to get off. In fact, most people begin standing, even those that are up against the window and they do that half-crouch stand like this as though somehow that's going to help them get off of the airplane faster. People are just ready to get off. Now, the flight from Kenya... 16 hours and 35 minutes. You can imagine that they were ready to get off of the airplane. The power went out. And they waited on the tarmac. An hour went by. And then two. Nothing for them to do, nothing they could do to change their circumstance. They simply had to wait. Six hours passed waiting on the tarmac. Can you imagine what the air in that airplane was like at this point? And can you imagine the joy when that voice broke through over the intercom saying, Passengers, it's time to disembark. They all made it off safely. But that's the kind of experience to some degree that these Jewish people were having to, to finally have someone saying that this thing that we have been waiting on, this thing, it's happening. God is doing the thing that God promised God would do. God is about to restore and redeem. And so, the Judean countryside and all of Jerusalem go out to learn, to see what this creator, redeeming God, was doing. And they find John the Baptist out there preaching repentance. Now, I, I think that we often tend to view repentance as a feeling, as a, as a feeling of, of remorse. I feel bad about what I have done or, or somehow expressing our remorse, but it really doesn't capture what that should mean to us. I, I've talked about this before, but this word repent, it's derived from the Hebrew word shuv, which is an action verb. Right? It, it means to physically turn. It's more than simply expressing remorse. It's a, it's a course correction. My life is headed in this way, and now I'm going to turn and head in another direction. 
which I think far better captures the state that we find ourselves in whatever we may be struggling with. Reverend Shove just a few moments ago mentioned our, our New Year's resolutions. Those resolutions are very often, or I think ought to be, if they're going to be successful, a turn from one behavior and to another behavior. You see, because most of our sin, it's, it's not a one and done type of thing, right? It's Sin is, that is embedded in us, and it manifests itself in repeated behaviors. Because the issue, isn't, the issue isn't that we lied, it's that we lie. The issue isn't that we overindulged, it's that we overindulged. The, the issue isn't that we had a temper, it's that we have a temper. And so change, it, it takes a physical, mental, and spiritual turn from this thing to something else. From deceit, indulgence, and anger to truth, self-control, and peace. And so this is what John is preaching. He's not telling them that they need to feel sorry about the way that they're living. It's that they need to turn from the way that they're living now and to something else. And it's there in this place to John the Baptist who's preaching repentance that Jesus comes to be baptized. Continuing right there at verse 7, we read that John the Baptist proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. How's that for a baptism? And aren't those words that we all need to hear? I love you. I'm proud of you. With you, I'm well pleased. I, I think for many of us, when we remember our baptism, if we were baptized. And I hope that, that there are people in this room now who have not been baptized. We're not doing our job as a church if there are not people who haven't been baptized in here worshiping with us. And if you're interested and want to know more about what that would mean and what that could look like, I would love to talk to you. And Diane would love to talk to you about what that would look like. But when we remember our baptisms and we, we think about it, we we know that there was water involved. But I think we often forget that it was not only water, but spirit as well. That in our baptisms, the spirit also 
descended and God said, you are loved. I'm proud of you. You are mine. Now, a couple of years ago, I I was on a return trip on an airplane. And I was sitting on the tarmac before we ever took off. And and somehow I struck up a conversation with the person sitting next to me. His name was Chet. And he was a military surgeon. And somehow, within the first couple of minutes, like you do, we began talking about tourniquets. (laughs) Now, now, you may remember this, but, but up until just a couple of decades ago, tourniquets were thought... To, to cause a high risk of amputation. And so for, for many years, medics were trained only to use tourniquets as a last resort. Now what Chet shared with me was that this school of thought was, was based on papers that had been written by doctors at John Hopkins University. And these doctors at John Hopkins University had served on the battlefield during the Civil War. And the doctors didn't travel up to the front lines, but would hang back because they were considered too valuable. And so sometimes it would take two to three days to get a wounded soldier back from the front lines to the field hospital. And by this time, the lack of blood flow due to the tourniquet required them to amputate the limb. And thus, tourniquets became synonymous with amputations. However, the reality is that that the tourniquet, when used appropriately for a short term, has little to no risk of causing amputation. In fact, it is a life-saving technique now employed regularly on the battlefield and by first responders. But due to misinformation life-changing, life-saving technology went underutilized for nearly 150 years. Friends, when it comes to understanding who God has created us to be, when it comes to understanding who we are and our worth, we deal with the same problem of having bad information. Where do you go looking for information about your worth? Is it in, in, a, in a job? In your vocation? Maybe it's in the approval of a parent or some other relationship, or, or maybe it's wrapped into some, some title or status of another kind. The reality is when we go looking in the wrong place for this kind of information, we'll find bad information. We'll miss the life-saving, life-changing truth that God chooses you. Because, and here's the truth, there, there is nothing that we do that makes us worthy of being loved. 
John's baptism is one of repentance. It it is one that calls for for a turning from one way of living to another. But baptism is not based on whether or not they have changed, yet the baptism comes anyway. We do not become worthy of God's love. But rather, God simply declares that we are worth loving. And so, friends, in this new year, may we turn from all of these sources of bad information. May we turn from all of those false gods and false truths and false sources of affirmation and turn towards the new thing that God is doing in Jesus Christ even today. Because God looks at you and says, you are my beloved, my child, the one I love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.